0: Welcome to the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy podcast. On this podcast, we discuss articles written in the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy, and the article's implications for teachers, scholars, and other literacy experts. My name is Matthew Sroka. I'm a former high school English teacher, current clinical assistant professor of literacy education at Mercer University. And I'm also an associate editor of the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy. Before we get into the show today, uh, a few reminders. One, uh, this the articles that we talk about in this podcast each week, they're available in the show notes and they are free for you to read. So I encourage you, if you're interested in the article that we discuss, uh, go ahead into show notes, click on the article and you can find that and access that for free. Secondly, I wanted to kind of make a quick announcement here that the Journal of Adolescent Adult Literacy uh, Journal is coming out with a special issue, a uh, special issue call for literacies in global contexts. Uh, editors are particularly interested in articles that elevate diverse cultural and linguistic contextual factors within populations of adolescent and adult literacy learners, ages 12 and older, from across the globe. So if that sounds like a call that interests you, I would encourage you to go to the Journal of Adolescent adult Literacy website uh, and read more about that call. Finally, this is just episode six. Our podcast is still kind of getting off the ground here. If you found this podcast and you enjoy it, I strongly encourage you to go to Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, write us a review. It's much, much appreciated and helps to kind of spread the show and get it in more, more ears. Need to work on that phrasing, more ears, Um, more listeners. That would be better than saying more ears, right? Uh, So share it on social media, please. Tell your friends about it if you found it. Uh, It's much appreciated. All right. With that business out of the way, let's talk about today's show. So what happens when a university collaborates with a high school in order to improve the literacy skills of secondary students across disciplines? In an article titled, Redesigning Reading in and for the Disciplines, Dr. Cla- Catherine Glaswell, Dr. Christina Mata, and Dr. Nikki Glasswell discussed doing this very thing. And the result was an innovative learning strategy called paired wide reading. Today, I chat with one member of this study, Dr. Katherine Glasswell, about paired wide reading, what it is, why it works, and how all teachers in all content areas can start using this strategy in their classroom. <music> Kath Glasswell is an English-Kiwi Australian academic who has lived and worked in the United States. She has a strong international reputation for developing research-rich practices practice-led, industry-engaged partnerships that deliver high-impact literacy outcomes. Kath has successful experience in leading teams for research, teacher education, and school engagement across six universities in three countries. She's spent over two decades investigating the the teaching of literacy and helping teachers master differentiated literacy practice that supports all learners to success. Her passion is supporting schools to find socially just, robust solutions to everyday problems of practice. One of the most important things to know about Kath is that she loves classroom teaching. She's often to be found co-teaching in schools, working with kids and teachers. There's nothing she enjoys more than thinking together with teachers as they design and test new models of teacher and student learning. I'm now excited to be joined by Dr. Katherine Glasswell. Kath, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Can you, can, as we get started here, can you talk a little bit about? I know you have a lot of experience. Um, and you've been at this for a while. Can you talk a little bit about your work within reading in the disciplines, kind of what brought you to this article and to this work?
1: Sure. I have been at this uh, a long time, and that's been a really interesting journey, actually, and things that have changed, uh, uh, you know, over time. I started my career as a, as a primary school teacher, um, taught in Scotland. Um, I always call myself a, an English-Scottish-Kiwi New Zealand. Uh, Australian that lives and works intermittently in the United States, so I have these kind of backgrounds of of, uh, teaching and and research and academic life in in different, uh, all all English speaking I have to say because I'm monolingual, English speaking context. Um, And a lot of the work that I do as an academic is is related to schools, is related to um, what's actually happening in our classrooms, how I can help with this enormous privilege that I have to read, write and think for a living how I can help teachers solve the problems of practice that they have in their everyday lives. And so um, I've done a number of research projects over the years um, in various places. I sort of started as a beginning academic. um, My formative years, actually, were at the University of Illinois at Chicago. That was my – I did a little bit of work before that, but the best work I think I did as an early career researcher was there um, under the mentorship of people like the late Bill Teal, who was amazing, Taffy Raphael. And they really were really – Amazing people in teaching me that what really matters is that our work is used by teachers. Our work is contributes to the greater good and to communities and schools. So that having having had that, I kind of went on and did different work around um, Australia and the United States. Now, this particular project uh, that this um, article is related to is one um, that was part of a series of projects uh, that we called Learning for Teaching, and sometimes we called Smart Education Partnerships because they took place in a particular place uh, in Australia. And the problems of practice we were trying to solve were how to ensure, we were working in a community, um, well, a number of clustered communities in a geographical area in Queensland where there were enormous disparities between, in in student achievement so um i'll give you an example one of the high schools that we were working in um had um about 70 percent of the students in year eight reading below a year four level as measured on one of our standardized tests and the teachers would say you know particularly in the high schools okay i, f- I felt like it was kind of um not easier but more familiar to me to tackle what was happening in primary schools, because I had a lot of experience in doing that and working with primary school teachers. And then we moved to high school, we were talking about this earlier and that. This was there are real quite there are differences, not just in the kids, adolescent literacy, all of those things that are going on, but there are differences in the way that those schools run, the, the cultures of the schools, the organizational structures. And so what we we're trying to do is try and help those people solve the problem. And the problem was around uh, the kids didn't want to read. Um, so there was no kind of motivation to read, uh, often wouldn't read when presented with materials, especially at grade level, because quite often it was too hard because they couldn't read them. So then we were trying to figure out how do you how do you tackle all of those things together, incredibly complex uh, issues. The kids have to learn through, through reading and writing, and yet they're resistant to reading and writing because they don't have the prerequisite skills to allow them to be successful. And none of us like to do stuff that we're not successful at, right? Mm-hmm. So we were trying to change that game there. Uh, And that's how this came about, where we sort of looked at the problems that the teachers were, you know, we go out to schools and we had a number of high schools in this cluster where we listened to the teachers and they said, these are the problems, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, We looked at what they were trying to do to solve the problem, which was often creating uh, PowerPoint presentations, watching movies, YouTube clips. But what that did was inadvertently... um, sort of block kids access to texts in a way, you know, like they were working against themselves. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we ended up trying to come up with a way of how do we get the kids to read? And that's what we came up with paired wide reading, which is what's in this article. Um,
0: Yeah. And if I can just jump in, right. I think this is, uh, I, I I love that explanation. Um, I think this is an area where we as educators. And when I say we as educators, I really mean like me as an educator, I, I feel guilty of this where we have dropped the ball in preparing our students to read effectively at where they're at in in our class. Um, what I mean by that is I think often we are guilty of high school English teacher here. I'm guilty of if they get to my class, I feel like they're not able to either want to read or able to engage with the text that we're reading. And so I throw up my hands and say these kids, these kids today just can't do it as opposed to what you're doing. You're you're coming in and saying, "Okay, here's the problem." We all recognize this is a problem. And I don't know if I should take comfort that it's just not an American problem um, with students reading on grade level and engaging authentically with, with text, um, but you're presenting um, a solution uh, and not just wringing our hands and saying, oh, this, these kids today, but you're presenting a solution. So, so can you talk a little bit about that solution and kind of what paired-wide ri- reading is? Sure. So in paired-wide reading, um,
1: Teachers were doing the best to solve a problem the best way they knew how. So one of the ways that they were doing that was not reading. So we said, okay, well, the, basically it comes to this. All the research tells us, if you want to be better at reading, you're going to be doing some reading. Mm-hmm. right? So there's no point resisting reading in your classroom. You have got to figure out what are the points of access for kids in that in, in reading in your content area, and how do we make that engaging? so um draw, so we had a really good look at all of the research on we on adolescent literacy we had a look at things you know that we we knew where there was sort of growing research evidence we knew and i, I usually present this when I, when i talk um on a slide where we say, okay, well, motivation matters. <laughs> you know, we know that. Mm. Um, we know that uh, volume of reading matters. We know that vocabulary matters. We know that teaching explicit, explicit teaching of comprehension skills matters, et cetera, wide range of text. So we sort of thought about all of those things and then put them all together. And I have to say now, I'm going to say that there's a team of people. I'm here today because time zones and all, <laughs> different people <laughs> doing different jobs. There's a group of people. We had a wonderful team at Griffith University at the time when we were doing this work. And we've extended that through work that we've done in California and also work that Christy has done in, in a, a Dr. Christy Matter, Professor Christy Matter at um, Northeastern Illinois, has been taking some of these ideas and working with them with uh, CPS uh, teachers. So basically then what we decided to do was to say, okay, they've got to read text, but the texts that we've got at the grade level are too hard. How do we provide access to those texts while still making sure that kids read to develop the reading skills that they're going to need to develop to eventually access those texts? And so we sort of built, we had this idea of a ladder, you know, we had, and other people have done this work too, you know, there are other people who've done this work that have looked at stepping stones or, um, you know, ways of providing points of access to kids. So that's- yeah, and,
0: and, and actually last episode, I talked to Dr. Choi, Dr. Tadero, who does the four, they, they did this four tiered text approach focused nice. on college reading, t- taking college level kids who were below kind of reading and, and targeting it with kind of scaffold reading levels the yeah. kind of uh, basic and more intense mm-hmm. and then um, kind of scholarly view at, at the end, the expert yeah. article yeah. at the end. Yeah. So, so yeah, that same idea.
1: Yeah. And, and if you're doing that thematically, what you're doing there is you're building the background knowledge because we know that background knowledge, the prior knowledge actually really impacts how we read and what we understand from what we read. Plus, we're building it. Uh, we're building familiarity with vocabulary in that discipline or particular area. Mm-hmm. And then that each, each step on the ladder that you go up, you get more familiar, which means that the next step up that's slightly more, diff- incrementally more difficult, you're already primed for success there because you've read something earlier in that theme or kind of in that topic that says, oh, okay, that's okay, I've got this, I can do that, next right. one. As opposing,
0: starting with the advanced article where there's all this okay. assumed knowledge built in that just yeah. goes over their head and then it demotivates yeah. students and yeah, all the stuff we yeah. don't want, yeah.
1: And so one of the other things that we did with the, the text, so text sets is part of it because uh, when, the, when we look at the article, it's like, well, there's a bit on text sets because they are an important part of it. They Mm -hmm. perform the the job of the material scaffold, if you like. You know, they actually, there is the way in which the materials are structured for uh, the instructional interaction matters. Uh, But then on top of that, we've got the interactional uh, scaffold, you know, that what happens between people, which is the paired paired part. So all the while we're doing this work, we're also including work with other people, so it's more social, so it feels, you know, safer. And it was bringing together that kind of work. So the work that we know on on text and how they work to scaffold uh, and then social interactions around that and motivation to read. So just on the motivation to read the type of text matters, too. And I don't know whether that's what uh, you were talking about earlier. So when we say we're reading on on a, a subject, sometimes teachers will say to me, oh, I'll just get. I'll just get an article and I'll just adjust it for reading level exactly mm. the same article adjusted three mm. times no yeah, yeah. because this is paired wide wide reading which means that we want them to read a range of texts so and that, and that range will matter They can be you know um, they can be letters they can be information reports they can be short stories they can be um, all, all manner of different things they can be graphic texts they can whatever um, but we have kids reading this wide range of texts on the same subject and that helps with the motivation to read too. Interesting stuff that kids would want to read as points of access.
0: Yeah, I, and I think that those two components make it kind of unique, right? The paired um, as they're kind of reading together with a partner and the wide as they're reading a wide range of text. Um, I, I think both those things are great. I, just to focus real quick on the paired aspect, you mentioned it, but I mean, this is why we there's a bunch of strategies out there like ter- turn and talk, right? Where we get kids to turn and talk to one another well, why, why do we do this? Because A, it keeps kids engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, B, it makes sure for that kind of quieter kid, right? Who doesn't like to talk, but maybe has something to say. It invites them in the conversation because you're just, you're not talking the whole class. You're just pairing up with, with a partner. Um, and so I I like that it's, I like kind of the inclusivity of of the, of the, of the paired reading. Um, and I do like, I mean, we want our kids to be social with their reading too, right? Like we want them mm-hmm. to engage conversations around it. Um, so I think that paired part is, is an important component that, that goes with the, the wider array, array of reading as well. So I like that.
1: And we did the paired in a different way to the way it's often done, which is, um, you know, you have a buddy reader and you stick with that buddy. We actually said we encouraged teachers to encourage kids and there'll be exceptions to this because you'll have kids who can't manage that. And that's fine. But we encourage teachers to encourage kids to read with as many different people as possible so that you get this cross ability, cro- you know, this kind of social knitting as well as this ability to be exposed to a range of readers in your own class, because most teachers were looking at kids who could read, you know, there was a four, yellow, four year range um, in reading abilities in some classes. So then you'd have some kids who, you know, were were really striving readers and other kids who were quite competent readers and they would, off, you know, they would weave in and out together and support each other and get support. Um, so that was important. And then uh, also we had this little reading log, which I kind of don't like the idea of, actually, but it's sort of <laughs> a good friend of mine, Mike Ford, talks about creating a paper trail. And, uh, you know, so kids are held accountable in some way. We have this little reading log that says, you know, what did you read today and who did you read with? And then at the end of it, you're supposed to have a, a discussion and come up with a, a comment, a question or a wondering that you've that you've had together. So that again sort of reinforces the idea that you should be chatting about what you're reading,
0: not right. just you know, saying the words. Yeah. And if if you um go to the show notes, you can access the article and examples of text sets and examples of that kind of reading log is there as well for you all to look at and borrow from. The I yeah, I, I actually the I like the idea of okay, so we pair up and then within that you have the text sex do the text set which a bunch of texts, and there's some flexibility, right? Which Absolutely. which text you want to choose. Mm-hmm. So you and your partner can choose to read this text or choose to skip this one if you kind of already know what's going on and go on to, to the next one, mm-hmm. or if there's a preferred genre within that text set that you want to go yeah. to and read first. Um, it gives students some choice. And, and everything about paired uh, reading seems very student-centered, right? They're in control of their learning, and they're in control yeah. of what they're reading. Um, I think that's uh, all that's really good. Uh, eventually who,
1: they'll all read all the texts but they get some choice in the order in which they do that and with whom they do that and when they do that
0: right, right. so and, and, and we know that increases motivation it absolutely. makes them have more ownership over the over the readings makes it more authentic all that stuff who who creates these text sets did are these teachers creating the text sets and sharing them with it or are they, is this was this also collaboration coming up with these text sets well
1: Initially, when we developed the idea, we developed some model tech sets because we okay. had to kind of test it out and see whether or not we thought it worked. But it, that didn't last long because the teachers are like, whoa, this is amazing. I've got a unit I'm doing on X and I've got nothing to read on that. And then they would sort of come along. So in the, as part of the research project, the work that we were doing, we would work uh, with teachers to collaboratively create tech sets. So we would have these sessions we call collaborative construction where university researchers would come in and work with groups of teachers. And what we wanted to do with that was, you know, let's say all year nine teachers are teaching, you know, citizenship in Australia. Let's say they're doing that, and that's a social studies or um, unit that they're doing. And we're trying to think about, well, it's, you as a teacher, Matt, you don't want to have to go, oh, I've got to, t- I've got to do 12 texts now and get, oh, it's so a, a lot
0: of work. But if yeah. you
1: get all the year nine team together in a room in an afternoon and go, right, what are the big themes? What are we covering in here? Yep, we're covering those. We'll all agree on that. What are the topics? And then they research and say, I'll I'll do those three. You do those three. I'll do this, this three. I mean, just divide and conquer the design of the text set. And then you can you can also at that same time when you're all together, say, have we got enough? You know, is there a broad enough range of text? Have we got enough visuals in here? Have We got now we have which didn't get into the article. We also have. Gui- guidelines if you like many teachers find these very useful but it didn't make it to the article <laughs> it's just you know too many pages to uh, already um guidelines as to how you make a judgment about what's a what's a challenge what's a, a, a you know a lower level text and a, a more you know advanced text etc
0: oh good because I actually wanted to ask you about that because I think what you said before is spot on I think sometimes there's this notion that if we just adjust the lexile right yes. and by that we mean lessen the words per sentence yes. um and simplify the vocabulary a little bit and then we can call it a you know a, a moderate or or a low l- level but there's more than that to it right
1: absolutely and and what you're doing there when you do that drop that lexile down is that what you're doing one you're restricting the reading topic to that one topic which we don't want because that like, flies in the face of wide like we said yep So we try to make sure that within each theme, so the way that it works is there's usually four or five themes. I came across one the other day that had six. Somebody was going crazy with that. (laughs) And then there's usually three texts. And sometimes, depending on the level of what the topics have got to be covered, sometimes there's like two low-level texts and one moderate and two high-level texts. Teachers can do whatever. I'm totally flexible as long as we have some kind of scaffolding, some kind of staircasing of difficulty, and the wide reading is all good. So what we, happens when you take that text and the, you get the lexile reduced is you re, you take away all the vocabulary that the kids need to learn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, all that content-specific vocabulary that's tricky to read, let's face it, quite often, those big words are carrying a lot of meaning in those texts, and they've got to become aware of those. So we have little tricks that we use. So, I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science. You know, like if you're putting in a, a, a particular um, technical term in brackets after it, we usually say what that means, or we'll say something like, in that sentence, it's it's going to be photosynthesis, brackets. This means that. And then we put a this means that clause in to explain the vocabulary. So we actually embed context clues, and I teach teachers how to do that when they're writing these.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, we, we talked about that actually in last, our last episode, about the considerateness of a text, yes, right? Absolutely. Um, where lower levels should be more considerate to the reader, yes. provide those definitions assume there's very little background knowledge and then as they get more advanced you can make it less considerate yes. have more assumptions and yeah. that's all separate from just Lexile yeah mm-hmm.
1: and in a sense for you as a teacher it's it's quite it's quite a complex job to think about that not just simplifying not running through a lexile you know, a reducer or whatever, you've actually got to say now, what are the key things that kids need to know? What make Let me make yep. sure that I'm explaining those. And then the other thing that we do is we work across the text set within a theme and we say, let's make sure that the vocabulary that we want to develop, the vocabulary words is repeated through those. So there's a little bit of, you know, science and a, a little bit, there's some rigor in this. It's not just grab, you know, 12 texts roughly on the same topic and put them out and say, you know, knock yourselves out. It's, it's a little more complex yeah. than that, but it's easier when, it's easy when you divide the, the load. But let me tell you a new thing. Chat GPT. So in the last few weeks, I've been working with some teachers in who were teaching years
0: uh, seven and eight. I'm intrigued. Uh, Go. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued already. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: So, it, so it was just a while ago, actually. Nikki, who is one of the other authors, who is my sister, Nikki Glasser. She's a doctoral scholar at, at, at Griffith University. So she and I, you know, nothing else to do. <laughs> GPT comes out and we're having a chat over dinner, like, God, I wonder what that would look like for for wide for wide reading text sets, and so you know we sort of type in a few queries in there, and it and it starts to generate, and then now you've got to check the content. Right? Okay, now everybody mm-hmm. knows that, but it generated an enormous amount of content in about three seconds, and mm-hmm. it's all unique because some of the problems that you might have, one of the reasons you know we don't release the text sets, for example, is there are going to be copyright issues because we take those text sets and use them in schools for fair use educationally we can do that in Australia um but they might be copyrighted so there might be an, an article from the Guardian or something from just 17 magazine or an advert that we've got something like that but fair use in education where it's just for a school or a particular and these text sets often are very niche for schools
0: mm-hmm. we
1: can use it but so we can't release them to everybody to have right unless it's unique content. And I thought, Oh, chat GPT can do the unique content. So I had a teacher, I was doing a <laughs> coaching session online last week with with the teacher in another city in this school that I'm working with. And she was telling me that she'd been developing, she's reading a graphic novel at the moment that has themes of, um, has themes around uh, migration, indigenous cultures, different, different aspects of, um, that she wanted to really touch on in this, in this English novel that she was doing or graphic novel that she was doing. And so she'd gone to G- chat GPT and started making tech sets up. The thing I haven't tried yet. It's amazing what it does. Mm-hmm. I actually just made some on, there was a unit for another teacher I was working with. They were doing a unit on um, nutrition in, in HPE, um, health and physical education, we're calling it. And um I looked over the text set that had been developed before, and I felt that it was a few years old. It was probably five five years old or so. Uh, and I looked over it, and I thought, mm, I'm not sure I like the language. I think the way we talk about uh, the way we talk about people's bodies, the way we talk about obesity, for example, the way we talk about social acceptance of um, you know body body diversity has changed, certainly in the last five years, quite radically. Sure. And so I wanted to make sure then that that text set was appropriate given the current context. Yeah. Um, and so we ended up, I ended up using ChatGPT actually to help me write a number of articles on body positivity. And I used Lizzo as, as, a, as a great example, um, you know. So anyway, so it, it, the thing about text sets that I love about them is they're in, they're not like a textbook. They're incredibly malleable. Right. They can be contextualized and nuanced and they can be made appropriate for your kids in your context. And they, and you don't have to reinvent the entire text every time. You can go like, I looked at the nutrition set. I'm like, that works, that works, that works. Um, no, I'm not happy with the language use in this. So I'm going to change that theme. Yeah. And so we went and with that theme. Um, yeah. So you yeah, that- can change it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's, I mean, as, as a teacher where you're always kind of looking for new ways to incorporate, well, how do I incorporate new stuff without getting rid of old stuff that I like doing, like articles I really like, this is one way to do it, right? It's a text set. Here's another option for kids to mm-hmm. read. This is here a more relevant kind of, it just came out in the news. Um, you can read this one that adds to the three I already had. So it's it's a way to include new things and kind of make sure you're kind of always keeping your readings up to date without getting yeah. rid of stuff that you would already like.
1: Yeah, there was one on the Vikings I did with another school fairly recently too. Um because we we study um, various periods of history in Australia, often European history, um oddly, but we do <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother whole nother conversation. But anyway, uh, they were doing Vikings and um the Vikings stuff on it was Vikings in TV and, and uh on, on Vikings on in TV and in the movies. And I, and I looked at it and I thought, that's out of date now. You know, there's um, Love and Thunder out now. There's, you know, so we talk about, you know, so we we in, we also include things, which is a bit weird. People might go, well, that's not history. But in the end, it's, you know, so that was, we were looking at the ways in which that uh, Viking culture is represented, you know, representations of Viking culture in, in the media uh, and in film and TV in particular. And so that's really interesting for kids to read about to actually go oh this kind of oh that's where thor is and that's why oh yeah i get it now that's odin and that you know standing on the cliff edge or whatever so we do include things from the Marvel universe in the science text we include stuff about you know kryptonite and uh spider-man and the hulk and so you know because they're all related to radioactivity basically um so we try to sort of make links into what kids would be willing to lead, read chat gpt great i've loved it so far i think it would be an interesting thing to uh, do a little bit of a study on uh, the other thing i haven't tried yet and i want to try is the image generator have you ever mm-hmm. used those i haven't I,
0: I have i've played around with it a little bit yeah
1: oh ah, okay see i figured then gee you could make your own magazine articles couldn't you for for wide reading text sets using uh, chat gpt and the image generators and then you would have things that are completely unique i can yeah. hear teachers pay teachers calling for some folks right now
0: <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i, I think there's a, a ton of potential there I, I wonder and i think by the way i think there's going to be i haven't seen it yet but i think there's gonna be a flood of our a flood of our, our, our articles that deal with this topic how teachers can use ChatGPT. chat GPT. i think we're still in the phase where at least in my experience i spend more time playing around on ChatGPT than it hasn't been kind of productive for me i'm, a, I'm not yeah. at the point where this is saving me time yet i think yeah. i'll get to that point eventually but right now it's creating more time just because i play on there so much about mm. kind of the different things you can do
1: now some uh, things i found i think that's true for some of them like i found it really useful for me when i was doing nutrition and when i was doing uh, when i was doing the body positivity and then i went to do one on there's another unit in HPE on drugs and alcohol, and I went to update things on vaping, particularly mm. the new changes in the laws on vaping in Australia. That right. was harder for ChatGPT to find information on and write about. Mm. So some things are easy, and some depending on the content, obviously. So yeah,
0: yeah. I, I also appreciate in this conversation you mentioned um, um, science, history, talked about English. So so these uh, text sets are not just for a specific subject; they can be used in all subjects. So no matter what you're teaching, and I was, I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm thinking the college level about my college courses, how I can come up with these mm-hmm. thematic sets for the, for the courses I'm teaching at the college level. Yeah.
1: And there's a you know, massive advantage to wide reading, as we all know, and this yep. makes wide reading accessible. It chunks it down it's, because these texts aren't you know, super long. There are a couple of pages at the top end. Because teachers have got to do them within a lesson, right? So it's not like you're assigning a book and saying, read that, and come back next week and talk about it. Yeah. It's got to be doable in that session. And then we've got to be able to have a conversation about it. But, but you
0: mentioned have... this in Go your on. article, if they're doing this in every sub, like if this is, if you have a school where they're doing it in history and they're doing it in science, they're, they're being exposed to so many texts and so many words, even if it's just for 15 minutes, right, in that time. Yeah.
1: Oh it's huge the the I mean this goes back to Stanovich's work right you know on volume of reading and mm-hmm. and the, you know and Mike Ford my colleague from he's retired now from uh, Oshkosh he used to talk about this a lot you know just that the old New Zealand teachers used to talk about it as reading mileage you know that there's 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 benefit in practice guys and if we can make that practice as easy as possible and develop the content knowledge and the vocabulary at the same time to enrich your knowledge about a subject at the same time you're garnering reading skills it's a win-win isn't it yeah and you're right i think that was one of the most that was one of the most interesting things to me and and nikki as well who who did a lot of work on gathering uh these data and analyzing these data nikki glasswell my sister she was tracking like doing the logs with the teachers like you know like okay the what we call the implementation matrix where we tracked what teachers were doing so it was self-report data obviously Mm -hmm. and that's you know, because where else are we going to go? I'm not going to go in and time them. And one, we don't have the resources for that. And two, it's intrusive. And I trust teachers to tell us what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a rare thing in today's world. I, I was
0: just thinking about that. It would be refreshing <laughs> to have more of that. <laughs> wouldn't,
1: wouldn't it just? Yeah, you're a professional. You just tell us. But was the was the phenomenal impact, the cumulative effect mm-hmm. of multiple teachers doing this in different disciplines, particularly for your kids who haven't had the opportunity to succeed for whatever reason, and in the end, I do. You know, like I, I used to have this conversation. I don't have it much anymore. Where teachers are like, "Well, a year four teacher should have taught them to read." I'm like, "Well, she yeah. didn't, or he didn't, yeah. they didn't. We are here. This is this this person in front of you now, and they need our help. Let's think about how we can move that forward." So, there's uh, teachers telling us that they were doing it. And then what we noticed is, as numbers of teachers and would get together and they'd be like, oh, I'm, that nine C is doing that in maths and in English and in SOS. And then you get this massive bump. You get a little bit of a blip, frankly. You get a little bit of a blip if one person does it. You get a bigger blip if two people do it. If you've got three, we only had three. If you've got three folks doing it, it just goes off. It's yeah. crazy what it does to the reading scores. Yeah.
0: I, I the and that I underlined highlighted that comment in the article about um here's here's just the mini phrase quote you're talking about teachers' reflections, they're writing reflections, they said conversations move to reflections on their own teaching practice and to their ability to impact student reading motivation and proficiency. So conversations moved away from just kind of complaining that kids aren't at their grit reading level, and it went to, hey, what can we do Absolutely. to improve the reading? I think you get a little bit of success that makes you even kind of want to push, push forward when you have some success there. How do, I'm always curious, just um, as a researcher, reading is something that like takes a long time to develop. It's hard to see reading growth, especially at the, the, you know, the upper levels. Um, it's hard to see incredible increments of growth in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, when you're doing research, you're just there to get kind of a snapshot. Um, so how do you about how did you go about measuring how effective this program was at getting kids to improve their reading
1: so this this particular project paired wide reading is is nested within a much bigger project which was um, a, um I'm resistant to use the word now I used to use it a lot um schooling improvement project so that's what we got funded for you know okay. so the government gives us massive money to try and help schools uh to to improve reading outcomes, particularly in, in the communities that we were working with, usually communities struggling under the weight of poverty, um, you know, and all and many of the complications that go along with that. Culturally and linguistically diverse people, mm-hmm. um, many, you know, many struggling with trauma. So we so we got this money to do this. Now, as part of that, there's a huge emphasis on data collection because the government always wants to know they're spending right. the right? You know you like, see the results, yeah. <laughs> So we selected, we had a number of different tools that we used with different schools, and there were different preferences on that. For the high schools, we used a a test that's available in in Australia called the Progressive Achievement Tests in Reading. Um, Mm -hmm. The Canadians do something similar, but basically it's a normed test, basically. It's a normed test, and it can be administered at various points. I used it a little differently um, in that I still, you know, administered exactly the way it's, it's supposed to be. But We used it for much more um, sort of progress monitoring. So what we would do is we would go in, and that was part of scoping the problem. So a big part of scoping the problem is talking to the teachers because they're the people who do the work every day and you've got to listen to them. We're not the kind of people who come in and go, right, okay, listen up. This is what we're doing. That's not how it goes. We go in, we go, what problems are you facing? What's happening here? Let's gather some data. Let's look at it together. So there's a collaborative Mm -hmm. co inquiry because I'm a design-based researcher basically. So I'm looking at ways to... For schools and universities to collaborate on solving these really thorny problems that happen in schools every day so we go in and so gathering data was one of the first steps and that had to happen in all of the schools and there's been dozens of schools now um so we were gathering the data anyway and we'd gather that data three times a year okay so we'd have an assessment pro, pro uh, an assessment sort of program um where we'd gather it at the first and it's it's a one like you say it's a snapshot OK, it's a snapshot. Now, the data that we're reporting here is only on the kids that are matched. So it's complete cases. So it's not like here's some kids at the beginning and some other kids in the middle and some other kids at the end. This is the only data that's considered here is where we can match individual kids and their progress across time. Gotcha. And then we map, we, we nest those. It's a kind of a nested model where we nest those kids within cohorts and classes within cohorts. So, you know, so there's schools and cohorts in year nines and then classes within year nines and then kids are matched to it. So if you're there at the beginning and not there at the end, your data isn't included. Yeah. If you're there at the end and not at the beginning, etc. Yeah. So we know that we're actually looking at real progress. So, I mean, that takes a lot of back end work on data. And this is this is one of the things in schools, isn't it? You know, having people who have the time, frankly, and and the skills to be able to do this kind of tracking work, which is why school-university partnerships are amazing because yeah. we have those people and we can get the funding to help us, you know, sort that out. So, um,
0: yeah, I, I mean, I just think it's always just so tricky because, I mean, we talk about, you know, just a kid having a bad day with a test and then, but then there's also discussions about, well, like what, what if a teacher was more enthusiastic about how they implemented it as opposed to another, there's just so many variables, right? Oh, sure. When you're collecting data in school, but I yeah. thought one of the the most powerful data points for me was not, not just the improvement of test scores, but also the teacher reflections. Um, yeah. And I, I read one of them, but how teachers were seeing within their students not just improved test scores, but improved yeah. a- attitudes around reading, which Absolutely, was very encouraging.
1: Yeah, we had lots of lovely stories um, for that. Um, in terms of the other stuff, you know, talking about where the kids are. This comes down to your data cleaning as well, and Nikki was a person who was doing that. So, if we know, for example, we could see a kid had thrown the test because they were having a bad day, then mm. you know they were just like b b b b b b b b all the yeah. way through, or it whatever. Kids. Like, and they do that
0: okay. sometimes, yeah.
1: Yeah, they do. We're like, love you. That's it. Doesn't that does not look like it's valid? And we can sometimes try and gather the data again, and sometimes not. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of um, in terms of uh, what teachers were finding. I thought that was really, really refreshing too. And one of the things that I thought was a little sad actually out of it was, and we didn't put this in the article, was sometimes teachers would say, and I think this is common for all of us in teaching, they'd say, I could have been doing this before. Yes. And, I, and I had kids in And I wish I'd known this now. You know, as, yeah. we, as we do, I, I don't know a time in my teaching career where I'm not like, oh, gee, I could have done a better job of that. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of our reflection, isn't it? We're like, oh, we know how to do it now. And yeah, you, you can do the best you can with the best you've got at the time. So
0: yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why I started this whole podcast, right? Because I think there are, I think I I as a high school teacher like got so frustrated now as a college teacher, I get my same frustrations where where kids are not reading the way I think they should be reading. And but there are we know practical kind of best practices on ways that we can help our students. Um, to become better readers in in our classrooms. And so if you're struggling, like implementing paired wide reading is one way that we know this will improve both kind of the motivation and the performance because they'll be um, reading more words. They'll be interacting with people about it and they'll be reading a wide range of texts that will increase their engagement as well. So like we we know this Um, and there is some work in developing, but you're right. I think there's also... A space here and i want to ask you about this collaboration this is another thing i think teachers sometimes are guilty of liking their silo working isolation mm-hmm. sometimes when i hear like someone wants to collaborate with me in my head i just think this is going to take a lot of more of my time <laughs> time yeah. that i don't have let me just keep on doing what i'm doing um you seem to to cath have had been able to form a lot of successful collaborations um, what advice would you have and about going back and forming about going around, about forming collaborations and forming par- par- partnerships. Um, how were you able to do this? Did you meet with some resistance from teachers? How, how was sometimes. this? Sometimes.
1: And I have a, a, you know, somebody asked me this a while ago, actually. And and I said, I don't know, I have this little phrase I do where teachers, sometimes teachers are like, oh,
0: look, I'd stay. No. That's me. That was and, me. Yeah. <laughs> that was me. I wasn't even with that guy. Yeah.
1: And, and I'll say things like, look, walk along with me for a bit, just walk along with me for a bit and I'll, I'll be here as well. And we'll do, we'll do the first part of this together. And let's just see, like, I, I think it comes with, it it comes with the idea that what we're doing here is we are, we're developing and testing hypotheses. Like, so we're saying, okay, well, and and most people are interested in that. We, we've got a problem solving, you know, mindset to this. Like, well, this is the problem and we, we've we tried to solve it that way. And, and the way that you're solving it, okay, it works, for you in that way. So for example, doing PowerPoint presentation, kids copy that down. But what you're telling me at the end of it is the kids don't remember anything and they don't have any depth of knowledge. So when it comes to write their essays, for example, or the final assignments or the reports or whatever it is that you're doing at the end here, they don't really have anything to draw on because they, they got six bullet points <laughs> instead of 12 articles and the text and your teaching and the bullet points, which, yeah. so paired reading can enrich this. So what I well, do and, is. And,
0: I was, and just real quick on yeah. that point. Here's what again I'm guilty of doing this sometimes that was my version of background knowledge is let yeah. me just give you a couple of bullet points then I can skip the low and moderate and jump right to challenging because I yes. just gave you three slides on yeah, no. the low and moderate <laughs> but but why wouldn't I use a text right to prepare them for the text right instead of using right. a PowerPoint to prepare them for the text Doesn't makes less sense
1: we learn um, to read we learn to read by reading
0: right yes. so if we wanted to or, do or, it. I would also watch a video that include the background yeah. knowledge and then jump yeah. right into the challenge text. No, yeah. I'm skipping. I think it, I'm trying to it shortcuts often, here.
1: Yeah, but it's often interesting that we think as teachers, and, and I had a colleague years ago who did this really interesting study on the links that the teacher thought she was making between, you know, when she was teaching, she thought she was connecting information, right? Really yes. well, And what the kids were taking out of that was completely different. Yes. Like the kids were just, uh, it was a doctoral study at University of Auckland, and I was like, this is fascinating. So we think we're making explicit links. Kids are not getting those explicit links at all because in our heads it makes sense. But when we provide them with opportunities to be immersed in a text set, in a content area, and where it's got, I'm not saying they're all inviting. Some of my texts in the text sets can be, you know, they're, they can be a bit dry, I'm not going to lie. Some subjects are a bit dry, right? Right. So, But I try really hard where it is a dry subject to to try and bring in other text sets and make them visually appealing, make the kids want to read them. And then once they've started that and they've got that background knowledge, they can tackle that dry text or that high level text or whatever. Um, But we think we're making connections and the kids aren't getting it. If you immerse them in that, they are making those connections and are talking with a mate about it. Like, what do you reckon to that? I don't know. What did she mean when she said that? What's that word mean? You know, they get that. Well, it's i mean we've talked we've
0: been on this for even back when i was in college talking about you know the stage on the stage we need to get away from just pure lecture and the reason is is because students a sometimes don't pick up what you're what, what you're putting down they they just don't make the connection that you're you're yeah. connecting b like they they're they're not paying attention <laughs> they're just not yeah. not listening yeah. right so we need to put students in kind of active roles in the learning yeah. right we know this yeah. um and sometimes we don't apply it to every aspect of school though Right. right. Well, let's apply this. How does this look like for every student to be an active member of the reading process? Right. Um, and I think the, the pair, paired riot reading does that. Right. It makes them student centered, active learners, right. even while just reading the text that you're supposed to read right. for that class.
1: And when you've got somebody else with you. So recently, a, a, an HPE teacher said to me. Uh, But I think I do quite a lot of reading because I do, you know, drop everything and read every day for 15 minutes. And we talked about how that was going. And he noticed that there were a number of kids who would just get up and take a new book every five minutes. And there were other kids who were clearly zoned out or scribbling on their desks or whatever. I'm like, well, you put in the paired aspect to this. You've got somebody there who's actually there, you know, to be your cheerleader, but also to hold you accountable, that there is a job that you have to do together together. And then that's a good way of thinking, you know, you've got 24 kids in front of you or more. Um, You're dividing that into 12 pairs of people who can then help each other tackle the task and be accountable and be on task. And I think those kinds of things are really useful too. So in terms of how I get people on board, I would say if you are a literacy leader and you're trying to really approach it as as an inquiry project, you know, let's say, Mm -hmm. does this work for us? How could we do this? Who would be interested in doing that? And then, you know, to, to, to sort of test it yourselves to and to do it in a way that allows us as teachers, because sometimes this is taken from us, that intellectual curiosity about our own teaching, that, you know, I mean, action research or design-based research principles where we're saying, okay, what's the problem? Let's design a solution. Let's test that. Let's have a look at our data. You know, we'll implement it. You know, the plan, do, study, act cycles. Uh, and to to do that, I feel like that pulls teachers into it. It makes them active in the solutions that are being designed, they're not handed to them. And so this is the district initiative. Everybody do it, that's it. Yeah, and or got- I, I mean, I taught
0: for 14 years in Maryland at high school level, and we always had these SLOs, uh, student learning objectives. And so we they had took a, a a pretest at the beginning of the year that was county-made. And then they took the end test, which is the same exact test at the end of the year, which was county-made. And then kids had, you were kind of judged based on how students improved on that that score. And that was fine. It was fine. I mean, I didn't like it because I didn't create the test to begin with. And it's the same exact test. And it was just kind of two random stories. And it didn't really reflect what we did all year, but whatever, I I, I gave the test. What would have been more effective, right, is let me take an inquiry approach. I think all teachers (laughs) recognize there is this universal issue with students reading, um, both reading kind of, on grade level and also reading motivation, right? We all recognize this as a problem. Mm -hmm. So let's start coming up with um, solutions to it and let's Mm -hmm. test out as solutions in class and and then let's share the results and let's be judged by kind of our creativity in trying to solve this problem as opposed to these kind of random two assessments Mm -hmm. that the county made. And and be other
1: people into those conversations other teachers into those conversations what do you reckon ha- is happening here what is how could i improve that that's the collaborative and construction sessions that we would run where we'd run teachers that's, together as teams yes. where we're all collect we're, we're bringing our collective skill and knowledge and will together to solve a problem of practice whereas if you say you're siloed you're in that room by yourself sometimes People are reticent because it's just a lot. It's a lot, isn't it, as an individual teacher? But the strength in numbers, and there's company and collaboration, right, to solve these problems. That I think that's a really important part of it, and if, for school leadership to truly, to really get that authentic collaboration around inquiry of around teaching. I think.
0: Yeah. Well, Is Kath, it, initially I said I was not on board, but now. After this, I'm on board. I'm on board with collaboration. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think what, what what sells me is this idea of um of yeah, the inquiry aspect of it. I and and I think this is an idea where like paired read reading, and I, I, I want to ask you if you have any more advice for teachers in this realm, but I feel like I'll just share what I think to start with, that this is great because teachers can do it to start with in a very small ways, right? They can take one little unit and say, okay, instead of teaching this unit how I usually teach it, I'm going to come up with, you know, a thematic text set for it, um, or thematic text sets for it, if I want to go with a few themes, and then I'm going to pair students up, and we're going to read it. And so I, I don't need to do this for the whole year, I can just yeah. take one little unit, and then reflect on that unit and see how it goes. Right? Yeah.
1: yeah. And the, and the starting small is really important. So. Um, A teacher said to me a few weeks ago, but I haven't got 12. I'm like, don't worry about the 12. 12 is just a number. It's just a number. It, It wouldn't matter if you could get three together and your kids, you know, it's a really important concept that you need to get over, that you really want your kids to engage with. Get those three out. Don't think, oh, okay, I haven't got 12. I can't start it. So you might do three. You might do six. You might do nine. You might do 12 like the one I came across the other day that had 18. That was just over the top. That was an overachiever
0: right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But um, I think the other thing that is really interesting, and this goes to the collaboration and also to the longevity that you get out of the initial investment. Right. Now, we've got the chat GPT, which is going to help enormously. I'm going to play a bit more with that. But when you've made the tech sets, like I said, you can adjust them. So if you like that, that theme doesn't work or I've changed this, I've changed my focus slightly this year. So I'm going to take that theme out. and I'm going to drop another one in and all I've got to make is three more tech sets. But those text sets can be available for all of the year nine teachers that are teaching that unit because they're all teaching that unit at that yeah. year level, usually at the same time. of year, you know, we all, you know, Australian curriculum tells us what we're doing. That's all good. But you can then make choices too. like teachers make choices and schools have made choices. Well, they make um, I've got some at the moment in a school that I work with where we've got a Google classroom and the then the text sets are all in the Google classroom. So the Google Classroom is there for teachers to add to, yep. but kids can access it too. So they just go in and they're and they're labelled. We have to label them. They're labelled, and the kids can do it digitally. So they can go into Google. Some some teachers prefer, and I've seen uh, actually had one school that printed out. They had boxes of it. So they had a box of uh, for the history teachers of wide text sets that went with the units for the different year levels, because they decided to actually print them all off in colour. And laminate oh, wow. them and have them there like they were library, you know. Uh, I mean, yeah. in that respect, still you can still pull them out. So you can do it however you like. You can read them on Kindles, iPads. You can put them so kids can access them if we're allowed phones in classrooms. I don't know anymore. Um,
0: it depends it on the school. On yeah, they, they can be links. Do you click on? Yeah. Yeah, sure. it
1: can be. It can be in any way. So it can be as flexible as you like um, there. So that's one of the things I like about the approach is that it's not. It's not like you've got to do this, and you do this and that. So it's all of that flexibility. What I care about, as I said to somebody last week, is that we keep the principles in mind. So we've got to we're making sure that we're doing paired reading because that's got you know, like I say in the article, there there there's meaning and bodies of research associated with each one of these words: paired, wide, and reading. Mm -hmm. You know, so we've got the paired, and that's the social support and the motivation to read and the keeping each other accountable and providing that interactional scaffold. And then we've got the wide reading, which means that we're developing that broad content knowledge and the vocabulary, the, in, the repeated exposures to important vocabulary that carries the meaning in a particular in a particular, uh, discipline or context. And then we've got the actual reading. There needs to be reading. There need to be repeat reading these. And that's part of that repeated reading stuff where when they're doing the paired wide reading, I read to you, you read to me. We can decide who reads first um sometimes teachers say at the beginning the kids won't read aloud and we do get a little little bit of reticence on reading aloud but once it's explained and once it's modeled and we explain I often explain this is how brains work this is what it's going to do um and this is how we can you know like <clears throat> you want to go to the you want to get fit you go to the gym we're exercising the reading muscles here this is what just what needs to happen guys and then they can choose to read it together which means every text get read gets read three times at least. If it's two hundred words, that's six hundred extra words that day for that kid.
0: Yeah, um, I always it, use a sports analogy. You can't, you won't get better at a sport unless you practice that sport. You just can't like true. learn about the sport or like watch about the sport. You actually have to participate and do it to improve. Can I ask yeah. a quick logistical question? Sure. If you have twenty six kids in there, you know, thirteen partner groups reading, is the noise volume does it become kind of hard to focus with so many voices in their reading?
1: That's an interesting question because and this is this is probably one of my little idiosyncrasies I don't mind noise okay and I don't, I'm <laughs> I'm kind of you know I'm pretty, but some people do and I get that right so I've had people who kind of get their kids into sort of corners and they you know uh-huh. they're like okay, spread them as much possible. spread them around so yeah. they might they'd be a bit more flexible with their seating plan for example for that particular yeah. portion of the lesson um you know I can't send kids out of class Ooh. to read obviously but you can you know try and dissipate that noise a bit and they shouldn't Mm. mostly adolescents are not shouting when they're unlike unlike first graders who shout when they read you know generally adolescents are doing it you know quiet quietly Uh, and as long as the person next to them can hear then that's then that's all that needs to matter
0: really i'll imagine if you're going to have noise in your classroom hearing you know 15 kids read at the same time is is a preferable noise to hear in your classroom
1: it's a busy hum isn't it that's what you want
0: Absolutely. Um, well, this is, Kath, I could I could go on. This has really been an interesting conversation. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, as far as kind of, do you have any updates um, since you've written this study on PWR? Is there? Is it still, are you still doing work in this field? Yeah. Where, where is it at?
1: Yeah, we are. Well, I mean, the, the chat GPT aspect of it is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I have it in a few schools in Australia at the moment. And Christy's working with teachers in, in Chicago. <clears throat> on it, so we we continue to we continue to work on it. Um, I guess one of the things, I feel like the the way it works and the ideas behind it are really sound. Um, it's the teacher preparation aspect of it that I would really like to work. That's why I'm kind of interested in the chat GPT. If there's a way that we can help teachers develop tech sets and and also see the tech sets as very flexible, in that they can change them in and out and and cha- and develop them with much less of a, a time commitment. Because um, I'm not going to lie, say that straight up. This is a lot of there's a lot of front loading of the work here. But yeah. once you've done it next year, you might tweak it a tiny bit, and then you've got it all ready to go for your next year. And if your curriculum changes drastically, clearly you have to do something. But generally speaking, and also if you're teaching in year nine and you've got three history classes, all on you know you can use that. And the beauty yep. of it is, it's got differentiation built into it. You know, it's a differentiated resource. Well,
0: really? and a more authentic, legitimate differentiation, as we talked about before, than just throwing some different lexas on there and calling it differentiation. Absolutely. This is a better form um, of, of differentiation. And now,
1: part, part yeah. of the principle on that, you know, on the text sets is also that teachers realize, because sometimes I'll have teachers and they'll say, Oh, I'll give my low kids all the low ones to read, and then my moderate, and like, no, that's not how it works. It, yeah. It's got you've got to the principle of it is the scaffold, right? So, you've yeah. got to make sure in that reading aspect of it that there's repeated readings and that the material scaffold is there to work because what we're trying to do is accelerate literacy at learning, right? So, and the way that we do that is incrementally increasing the challenge, you know. And I go back, always go back to my zone of proximal development, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, making sure that they're doing something that's just every time you climb that rung of the ladder, your zone, you, you know, your access to the next mm-hmm. zone increases. And so it's really important to get those principles. So it's it it kind of violates the principles of paired wide reading to say the low kids get the low text, the middle kids get et cetera. They've got teachers have got to understand the principle of it. And then it's like, oh, well, I'll read once a week. Well, that's not the, the principle is reading and regular reading, because we know if you go to the gym, more regularly you know or like you say practice the piano more regularly you're gonna yeah. get better at it than you are if you, want, you do it once in a blue moon yeah
0: uh, so it's yeah.
1: just think it, there's, there's flexibility in in lots of ways in pwr but what we do want to do is make sure that we still stick to the principles what's it trying to do and what are we trying to develop and then if we can actually al- make sure that our practice as we adjust it is still aligned with that uh, then that's good had a conversation with a teacher who had gone down the lexile route oddly um having done paired wide reading and then we had a conversation she talked to me and she said oh yeah I forgot i forgot about that bit so now she then she was like okay i'm not i'm not doing paired wide reading then because i'm um, i'm basically doing the same text adjusted lexile with the same yeah. content in it i yeah. said so, well you know it worked uh, let me tell it's not you know it's it's not going to be catastrophic. It's but there's a smarter way to work
0: than that. Yeah, and I, um, I try to keep these episodes under an hour. This will go over an hour. Yeah, I'm the host. I can you. do that. I don't care, Kath. I, I'm the host. <laughs> I can do it. This is, I want to keep on talking. Um, because <laughs> you're, uh, if you don't mind the, because you just made me think of, the, of of this idea where, I think there's some professional development needed alongside. I think if you just said, hey, teachers, go create tech sets. I think there, there needs to be a conversation around what makes a low, moderate, and challenging text set, yes. talking about things like it's not just like style, talking about things like considerateness, talking about things like um, accessibility, mm-hmm. interests, all those things are part of that discussion. Yeah. And then and then how to then, um, I think that's a very valid point that some teachers will view this as, okay, all the low tech sets go to this group of students, all the middle goes to this one, all the height, but that's not what it is, it's a ladder. Um, And so I think there also needs to be conversations around not just, you know, pair wide reading, but how to implement it and the, and the why Mm -hmm. um, for this to be most effective. Um, I always like to say to
1: teachers, you are what you eat. So if you want to develop low level readers, give them low level texts. If you want to, to, to turn into high level readers, you've got to make sure that we provide points of access and opportunities to practice so that they can build those skills.
0: Right. Oh God. One of my, this thing would drive me crazy where where you would take okay if you're if you're on a fifth grade reading level for example okay. um to use our american grading system here <laughs> if you're on a, a seventh grade reading level here is that okay I'm uh, and and he's in 10th grade on a sixth grade reading level that means I'm just going to give him sixth grade reading no. level text. Well, that's a great yeah. way to keep them on a sixth grade yeah. reading level. No, it'll be it's an
1: awesome only, sixth grade reader.
0: Yeah, it is yeah. to is to take all the rigor out of out of text instead of mm-hmm. finding ways to advance and push him to higher levels which, which right. should be our goal. And I think again, sometimes we're guilty of best intentions of yeah. okay, I want to differentiate, so I'm just going to keep on feeding right. these kind, and you're right, what gets lost is important vocabulary, important content mm-hmm. when you lexile too much and make it too simple. Yeah. Um, you know.
1: there's a, there's a I use a lot um John John Hattie um who was a colleague of mine at University of Auckland and um Helen Timperley, you know, those sort of three questions. Where are we uh, where are we going? Also, oh, where are we going to w- what our goal is and which is would be grade level reading, where are we now? So understanding where we're at right now and then where to next. Mm-hmm. So making sure that we're filling that. So we're not, Not where are we now is not the question that we should just be asking. We need to go, where are we actually supposed to be going with these kids? It's mm-hmm. not, they come in. And then we have to then think strategically as teachers about how to move in that step. And that's what Paired Wide Reading does. It does that where to next or it helps you. It doesn't do it for you because, you know, you'll figure yeah, it I'm- out. But It's a tool. That you can use that we found to be remarkably um, and surprisingly so, because this was genuinely a research project. This was, I, it was genuinely like, okay, well, you got those. Sort of, let me have a look. Let's put these three bodies of research together and let's just have a look. What would you design out of that? That seems a bit creative. Let's give it a go and let's test it.
0: Yeah, because most you, teachers, yeah. you're right. Most teachers will just say, like, here's the challenge in text. I'll do the, the PowerPoint, YouTube, and then the the the, the challenge in text because that's what I want. Where the kind of how can I get them to this challenge in text? Like we miss that conversation or we try to take shortcuts with PowerPoints and YouTube videos. And when, um, I think the text sets is a good response to that.
1: And when you you think about your work now as an instructor at, at university and at college, you're thinking to yourself, yeah. well, the kid we've got to make them able to do this by themselves. What when I'm not there to summarize it in a PowerPoint when yeah. they actually have to use reading to learn. And that was that was interesting for me as a as a, a college instructor, particularly in uh, in Australia was you know I would give I would give students my undergraduate my first year undergraduates I would give them re- readings out of the reading teacher for example mm-hmm. and then I would you know we'd do some jigsaw work on that and then we would just, and I was often really quite surprised at the um ability of the students to extract meaning from those texts or construct meaning from those texts mm-hmm. and I'd be like, this is very I hadn't really thought I was thought to myself, well, oh, reading teacher that. Everybody can read the reading teacher, yeah. but when they're coming in from school and they haven't had that opportunity, there's still those things. You'll know this in your, in your undergraduate classes where you're having to teach those I, reading skills, right?
0: Yes, yes, yes. You're. It, it it it's so true. And there was, and when I got here. Like, I don't know what I'm thinking. Like, I saw, I was teaching high school. I saw what my seniors were able to do. Yet somehow I thought my freshman in college was somehow magically over the summer from <laughs> from senior year, to, like pick up how to read scholarly articles and all this stuff. But they don't. They're just like my seniors were. It's
1: totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, so magic wand happens over the summer. P-tool, you're a university yeah, student.
0: You now. You're a university student. You can, you don't have to ask permission to go to the bathroom anymore. You can <laughs> have control of your time. You know how to read. What no, and I, I think also this idea of like kind of what does it mean to know how to read, right? Like, at the elementary level, I think we talk about kids being able to read, and then, but it's not like once you're able to read, uh, you know, your first chapter book, you know how to read everything, right? It's it's an yeah. ongoing process. Yeah. I think for me, sometimes I forget that it wasn't very long ago where I struggled a lot to read these academic articles. Absolutely, um, and so I think this is part of kind of the being a lifelong learner and um, and 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 kind of never stopping in in, in kind of learning how to read better it's um, a continuum it's not a I got it now I know how to read
1: you know one of the things that um, people use wide text sets for too is sometimes so they've got the, the text there and teachers can use those and do some explicit teaching around those too particularly if they're texts that are you know different um, genres or text types they can go oh let's have a talk about it. if they notice kids, are struggling with a particular thing they can say let's take this text together and get it up on the on the screen on the whiteboard we can go through it we can think about it we can talk about it together so that they, there is opportunity even so you've got a library of texts sure for the kids to read but you can also draw on that library of texts to do some explicit teaching around reading strategies if that's what you need or around key vocabulary if that's what you need so it can do double yep. duty for you
0: yeah yeah and there'll be this common language because all your students would have read this text so um yeah they common language there all right mm-hmm. um and Kath, we could, we could just keep on talking. But as far as no, as, as an effort to wrap up this this episode, uh, do you have, what's kind of next for you? What what are you working on, Kath? And is there a good place for people to follow your work as you continue to do your work?
1: That's a good question. Um, I actually have just pub- there's one just come out, or will be coming out in June in a UK journal. Um, because Nikki, Nikki and I, you probably have a very strange accent, don't I? It just kind of meanders all over the world. It just goes, yeah,
0: anyway. I, I enjoy it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it depends on how I say words, where I learned that word. So and I do have a a, a good number of Americanisms thrown in there for the heck of it after 10 years in the US. But mm-hmm. um, we put one into school science review in the UK, which is a very much a science-oriented. So the one that we did for JAL, it's on the same project, but it does, it's got slightly different stuff in it. Mm -hmm. Um, in that we don't really report the data in there, but we talk about how science teachers in particular. So if you're a science teacher interested in that kind of thing, there's some work coming out in uh, the school science review in the UK comes out in June. Um, And then the other thing I'm doing right now is I'm working on, I'm particularly interested in... You know, you said to me earlier, you've done all sorts of different work, haven't you? I'm always just interested in language literacy and learning. That's yeah. the big thing that drives me, and I'm blessed enough to have, uh, you know, opportunities to do that. So um, I've been uh, trying to put together a grant application to look at oral language, particularly in structured play, uh, found objects play in a community that I'm used to working with here in Queensland, but I've just got here, so I'm just sort of negotiating that. Um, other than that, I um, my stuff is coming in and out of... Uh, of uh, journals. Um, I have an older book uh, out with Australian Council for Educational Research, which I think you can still buy on Amazon, which is called Powerful Practices for Reading Improvement, which is ways this is part of that project and it goes along with paired wide reading and it's sort of tools for teaching. So it's got a lot of stuff on, you know, how to improve fluency, how to improve vocabulary. Um, It's a collection of those kinds of things. Um, Yeah, that's what I'm doing at the moment, trying to put together some stuff um, along those lines. I will keep going with paired wide reading. Um, I actually good. think I'm thinking good. of doing, I'm thinking of writing something on the chat GPT at the moment, just on my sort of experiments with that at the moment and what it does for generating text. And I would like to have a go at that image generator. So, and yeah, I'm back teaching uh, next year. So I've been lucky to have a year on research only, which is, oh, it's honestly rare, isn't it? As anything,
0: isn't
1: <laughs> it? Hey, the other thing I would just say to people, if there are teachers listening and you're thinking, this sounds interesting, I know for a fact that there are academics like me and like you, Matt, and mm-hmm. all your colleagues and my colleagues who are desperate to form partnerships with schools, who want to use our expertise to problem solve with you, to do research. And it's, you know, if, you, if you've if you got an idea, if you want to do something, particularly in the field of literacy, reach out to your college professors or look at, you know, professors online that are doing that kind of work. and. Reach out to them and ask them if there's possibilities. Talk to your school district, and you know, I think that there's a lot of work that we can do together. Um, you know, between our universities and our schools, that that means that we're actually really getting the best of both worlds. You know, you you know, teachers know the classrooms. I, I, I mean, I, t- I go into classrooms, and I, but I'm not teaching every day. I don't, yeah. you know, realistically know what that is, and I don't want to sit in an office. And I know many people don't. You know writing in an ivory tower i want to be in schools yeah. and on the ground and helping you solve your problems in practice so reach out and talk to people you don't have to go to grad school <laughs> you can actually find a find a friendly researcher near you
0: yeah I, it's so true and that i mean the takeaway for me from your article was yes like pair wide re- re- reading um can be a kind of an effective framework to, to to run your class but also like the value of collaboration and what a great example of people at the at the school level or people at the you know secondary level com- with people at the university and college level. And when they come together to kind of solve a problem, how kind of effective that can be and cool, and cool that can be. So it's a story of collaboration too, I think your article is. Yeah, so it's cool. For sure. Um, well, Kath, thank you. This has been uh, a very engaging conversation. I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, you are very welcome, and thank you for inviting us. We're, I'm sorry, Christy and Nikki couldn't be here. Nikki is back teaching at the moment in high school, and uh, Christy is um, is teaching summer school, actually, much like you. So we we, okay. couldn't, we couldn't figure out the time zones. Yeah, but,
0: the time uh, zones make everything complicated. <laughs> I know it, it
1: really does, but I really appreciate the opportunity, and I hope people find some value in the article, um, and that and yeah, ex- try it, experiment with it, and get with your colleagues. It, And it's fun, you know. I mean, I probably need to get out more, but it's fun, I think.
0: Yeah. And if you do try it, email me and let me know that you tried it. I'd be really curious to hear how that goes.
1: Oh, I would love to. uh, Yeah, feel free to email me anytime, too. I'd love to hear about what's going on and how people are trying it and reinventing it. It'd be brilliant.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Beth.
1: Well, thank you so much. Bye.
0: Bye.